I want to again thank Bethel Church and Brother Ronald for the invitation. I thoroughly enjoyed the weekend. It's been a blessing unto me. I don't know how much I've been a blessing unto you, but it has certainly been a blessing and uh, a revival unto me uh, this weekend. And I ask interest in your prayers once more as we endeavor to speak upon the Lord. If you have your Bibles, I want to go to Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 this morning. The Lord is speaking here and he says, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Jesus begins here by saying, I thank thee, O Father. I trust that every one of us thanks God every day. And why do we have a reason to thank him? For the blessings that we perceive that we have received of him. And there's manifold blessings that we have received from God. There's the natural blessings that we thank him for. I thank him for our daily bread. I thank him for my natural parents and family that he gave me. I thank him for the little town that I live in. I thank him for many things in a natural sense. When it rains and we need it, I thank him for that and all kind of natural blessings. But more than that, I thank him for the spiritual blessings he gives me. I thank him that I trust the Lord has given me the kingdom, to see the kingdom. I thank him that he has blessed me somewhat to preach the gospel. And I thank him for the hope of eternal life in heaven above. Many blessings that we thank the Lord every day. But I want you to notice what Jesus is thanking his father for. For what he is thanking his father for, most of the world does not believe that Jesus even does this, much less consider it a blessing. He says, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. You see, most of the religious world don't understand that concept. They believe the Lord's trying to show everything he knows to everyone he knows and for them to see it and accept it and receive it. They have no concept that the Lord chooses people to reveal stuff to and then hides it from others. Because that don't fit their doctrine. But yet the Lord says, I thank thee, O Father, Lord, in heaven and earth, because I have hid these things from the wise and prudent and has revealed them unto babes. And I want you to notice this point. It doesn't take me or you having to understand this for it to be a blessing. It's a blessing because for even so, it seemed good in thy sight. It was a blessing because God the Father sought to hide things from some and reveal them unto others. 
Now the next question is, he says, because thou hast hid these things. Now what things is he talking about? That he's hid from some and revealed from others. Well, there's some general things in the Bible that he has hid from some and revealed unto others. One of those things is he himself has been hid from some and revealed unto others. You go to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13, Jesus asked his disciples this question. He says, who do men say that I the son of man am? And they answered, some say John the Baptist, some say Elias, Jeremiah, others, one of the prophets. Now that is noble men, but they're not Christ. You see, he's revealed from these people that are guessing. And I'll say this about this. If I asked you this morning, who do you say I am? And you say, well, are you John the Baptist? Are you Jeremiah or Elias? Well, that'd probably give me a big head that I couldn't even get out that door. If you're confusing me with these, these men of the Bible, Jeremiah, John the Baptist, see, that would be flattering unto me. But that's not flattering unto the Lord because they're confusing him, even though these were great men, but they were still sinful men. You're confusing the God of heaven with sinful men. But he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. You see, they were hid, he was hid from some, but revealed unto others. Now, look at the kingdom. We go to Matthew chapter 13. And in verse 44, he says, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a treasure hid in a field. Now, if it's hid in a field, it's going to be hid from some. But when a, a man findeth it, say it's not hid from all, this man has found it. And I notice what he does with it. When he finds the treasure, it was already hid, but he found it. He went and hid it. <laughs> he went and hid it till he went home and sold all that he had, and he bought that field. You see, he found such a treasure that he wanted to hide it so that no man could take it away from him. If I had to hide it till I go home and get my money and pay for it, I'm going to hide it till I get that. Because here's what I know. If they know there's a treasure in the this field, then I won't be able to buy that field. It has now become more valuable and I won't be able to buy it. So the kingdom of heaven is hid from some, revealed unto others. Then I go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3, Paul says, but if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. Here there are some people that the gospel is hid from. But I trust it's not hid from us. It's been revealed unto us. Now there's two or three things right there 
that are hid from some, but are revealed unto others. But when he says, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things. That phrase, these things, is found several times in the scriptures. And I want to go to one place where you find it twice and try to show you that when he says these things, there are certain things, specific things, that are under consideration when he uses that phrase, these things. Let's go to one of our favorite chapters in the Bible, Romans chapter 8. We'll find these things twice in the Bible. In Romans chapter 8, in verse 28, he says, For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, and he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Then he says, what shall we say to these things? Now, isn't it reasonable and easy to understand that the, these things right here, when he says, what shall we say to these things, he's talking about those five things he just mentioned. He's not talking about things in general because things in general do not work together. Sometimes they're oppositely opposed to other things. But these five things do work together. Foreknowledge, predestination, his calling, his justification, his glorification, they work together. And he says, what shall we say to these things? And then he tells you what to say to these things. What do you say to these things? Well, we ought to say what Paul said. If God be for us, who can be against us? That's what we should say to these things. But then you drop down to verse 35 and you're going to find another one. In verse 35, he asked this question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. He says, nay, and as it is written, uh, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. But then he says, but nay, and all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. When he says, nay, and all these things, what things are we more than conquerors? through tribulations, distresses, persecutions, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. So every time I find the expression these things, it is told us before what the things are when he uses that expression these things. Now go back with me to Matthew 11. When Jesus says, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, now, I started that verse with Jesus' quote, but I didn't start at the beginning of that verse. The verse begins like this. At that time, Jesus answered and said. Now, when do you give an answer? Well, sometimes you give an answer when you're asked a question 
or other times you give an answer to something that has been already stated. Let's look and see what was already stated that Jesus gives the answer, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Go back up to verse 20, and let's look at the things that Jesus has given that answer to, I thank the old Father. You go back to verse 20, and it says, Then began he to upbraid cities, wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Now listen to how he upbraids these cities. He says, Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable in the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Then he says, woe unto the Capernaum, which are exalted up into heaven. Thou shalt be cast down unto hell. For if the mighty works had been done in thee, had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have remained even unto this day. Now let's look at some of the lessons that he's teaching in these verses right here that some people just can't see and understand, but others are blessed to see them. First question, why did the Lord do mighty works in Bethsaida, Chorazin, Capernaum, but he didn't do these works in Tyre or Sidon or Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, that first lesson shows me is God is sovereign. He can do what he wills, where he wants, when he wants, to who he wants. And the scripture says, none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? He is sovereign. We can't stop him nor should question God and what he does. Just see that it's a blessing of God when he does things that we understand and understand what God is doing. He blessed these cities and passed by others. He blessed those cities and he did his mighty works in them. The second thing I see is, or question I have is, Lord, if you knew the works you did in these cities, if you'd have done them in these cities, you'd have had a whole lot better result. Because you said if you'd have done those works in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. If you'd have done those works you did in Capernaum, in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have remained here even unto this day. So my question, Lord, why didn't you do it in those cities that you knew you would have had better results? 
And then I remember what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now here's the way I think. If I wanted to start selling air conditioners, I wouldn't go to Alaska. I'd go to South Mississippi in the summertime because there's where I think I'm going to have the best results. I would go to South Mississippi in the summertime, and it may be like it's in Tennessee, but I'm going to tell you what it is down there. You could sell air conditioners in the summertime. So that's where I'd go do it, but that's the way I think. But he said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. We're at chapter 11. Go back to chapter 10. The Lord is fixing to send his disciples out to preach the gospel. But I want you to notice what he's doing. As you read chapter 10 here, he is not pre uh, preparing them for success. He's preparing them for failure. Listen to some of the verses in this chapter. He says, into, I'm at verse 11. I'm just going to get to verses that uh, pertain to what I'm talking about. Into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter in, inquire in it who is worthy, and thereby till you go thence. And when you come into the house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it not be worthy, let, uh, let your peace return unto you. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust off your feet. He said, you're going to go to another one. And he says, before I, he said, behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. He says, therefore be ye wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you up to be the councils and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And then verse 22 he says, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endure to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee into another city. You know what that sounds like to me? He's setting them up to be prepared for failure. They're being not set up for Success, they're being prepared for failure. Now, that's not where I would have sent them, but that's where the Lord sent them. My thoughts are not your thoughts. He doesn't think like I do. There's a great lesson in that. Then we come to the third thing. When he says... Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Now, when the Lord said that, here's what he's saying. If I had done something different, like bless these cities and not these, that I did bless. I know what the outcome would have been. Now sometimes we get into this situation 
where if we change our minds and do something different, we think we know what the outcome. How many times we do the shoulda, woulda, coulda? We did something, but now I think if I had done this, there would have been a better outcome. We all get into that, right? Shoulda, coulda, woulda. But we don't know what a day may bring forth. We don't know how that outcome would have come out. We're just guessing it would have been better. But the Lord's not guessing. Here's the thing that we know about the Lord, and we've always known about the Lord, is that the Lord can declare the end from the beginning. That tells me he knows how things are going to play out. There's nothing that is going to surprise him. And when it says he declared the end from beginning, that did not mean he made it happen. He predestinated everything to happen. He can know how things are going to happen without predestinating them to happen, making them to happen. He knows the very intents of our hearts and thoughts. So he knows what I'm going to do. But I do it, and I choose to do it. But he already knows what I'm going to do. Now, he knows how things, has, he's declared the end from the beginning, and he knows how things are going to fall out. And things are going to fall out just one way, the way they're going to fall out. But think about this. How many ways are they that they could have fall out but didn't? And I'll give you for instance. There's one way that I drove up to uh, Nashville this weekend. We left my house, drove up to Meridian, went over to uh, Birmingham, come up through Huntsville, right up to Nashville. There's one way. But you know how many there ways that I could have come? There's unlimited. I could have went to Florida and come up here. I could have went over to the West Coast and then come around here. There's just unlimited ways in which I could have, just one way that I did, but unlimited ways. But the Lord knows every outcome that could have happened. Now, there's no computer that compute God's, his knowledge of all things. He knows every outcome. Now, sometimes we get it in our mind, and when it gets real personal to yourself, you think, maybe God didn't know and I need to remind him of something that would help me better. God didn't know, but I'm going to tell him, and I'm going to give you an example in the Bible where two sisters wanted to let Jesus know if he'd have done something different, there'd have been a better outcome. I remember these two sisters saying this, Lord, if thou had been here, what would have happened? Our brother would have not have died. You see, it's like they're saying, Lord, maybe you didn't think about this. If you would have been here, our brother would not have died. You think the Lord needed knowledge of that? Well, first of all, even sometimes when we try to worship the Lord, we have to bring him down to do that. 
They saw that the Lord had power. If he had been there, he could have stopped Lazarus from dying. Lord could have stopped Lazarus from dying where he was at when he was, uh, he didn't have to come there to stop it. You see, we have to bring him down just to worship him at time. Lord, if thou had been here, our brother would not have died. Watching television one night, one of these detective shows was on. They had this case that they were presenting to it. And the case was, there was this boy and girl they were dating. The girl was at work. She was fixing to get off. She, she called her boyfriend to tell her that she was on the way home. And when he called her, he asked her, says, can you stop by the 7-Eleven and bring me home a bag of Cheetos? She said, okay, I'll do it. So when she went to that 7-Eleven, there was a couple of wicked men followed her back to her car and killed her and stole her car. And on the show, that boy was thinking, Lord, if I just hadn't asked her to go get those Cheetos. Don't you know the Lord already knew the outcome of that before it ever come to pass? His changing his mind. Does he really think God didn't know the outcome? This was a case where the Lord did not put his hand down to stop this. Sometimes we get in a car wreck. And we think, Lord, if I just went another way. You don't know how many times you went another way and God kept you from something that way. You didn't know it because you didn't get into it. We don't know how many things that God has saved us from. And we never know it because we never experienced. We just realize it when that one time it does happen. It does happen. But I'm trying to tell you, get off the shoulda, coulda, woulda train because it will drive you into insanity. Especially with terrible things happening around you. It's times like that. When there's something has happened terrible in your life and you can't explain it. But you don't want to charge God with not raising his hand that you just have to cry out Lord thy will be done and that's hard to say when it doesn't look like it come out the way you want it to say Lord thy will be done he comes down to Capernaum here he says thou Capernaum which exalted up to heaven he says shall be brought down to hell for the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained even unto this day. As you're reading through the scriptures, have you ever noticed how many miracles that Jesus performed in Capernaum? Let me give you the list that I remember. There was a woman had an issue of blood. She wanted to touch his, uh, him of his garment that was in Capernaum. He leaves her. There was a king named Jairus. 
whose daughter had passed. And he raises her from the dead in Capernaum. There's two blind men that he healed the same time in Capernaum. He takes Peter's mother-in-law who has a fever and heals her in Capernaum. There's a man that has a palsy and they bring him to Christ and cut a hole in the roof to let him down and he healed him in Capernaum. There was a man that had a legion of devils in him that he cast out those devils in Capernaum. And that's just the ones I remember. That's a multitude of miracles to perform in one city. And yet the Lord said, if the mighty works that I had done in Capernaum had been done in Sodom, they would have remained even unto this day. Well, what would it have took for Sodom to have remained in this day? If the Lord could have found ten righteous, wouldn't that the deal? He said, if I find ten righteous, I'll spare the city. Now, not only does the Lord know how different things, choices that either he makes or you makes, how that would change all the course of history. He's aware of every one of those things. He even knows to the degree how it would change. Now he said, Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. I see in that, they would have had a Nineveh repentance. You remember the repentance in Nineveh? They repented from the king all the way down to the very last one. That's what I see in Tyre and Sidon. He would have had that kind of repentance in Tyre and Sidon if he'd have done his mighty works in them instead of Chorazin and Bethsaida. Now in Sodom's case, he said if the mighty works done in Capernaum had been done in Sodom, they'd have remained here even unto this day. What would it took, like I mentioned, finding 10 righteous. When you go and read that story, where Abraham's over there, he starts off when the Lord told him he was gonna destroy those cities. He said, Lord, if you go down there, and he started off with 50. He said, if you find 50 righteous, are you going to destroy those cities? And the Lord said, if I find 50 righteous, I'll spare the cities. Then he comes back and he said, Lord, what if you find, what if he, just 45? If there's 45 righteous down there? Then he says, what about 30? What about 20? What about 10? And next time you read that, I want you to notice this. Who quits bargaining, Abraham or the Lord? The Lord didn't shut it off. Abraham got it down to 10, and Sodom and Gomorrah was two large cities. It must have been in his thinking. The Lord at least has to be able to find 10 among all these people. You know what the lesson in that is? Abraham overestimated the goodness of man. He's estimating there got to be 10 down there. And he underestimated the goodness of God. Abraham should have got him down to one. 
Because I can tell you there was one righteous down there. The Bible calls him righteous lot. If he had got him down to one, he would have saved those cities. Now, the word righteous is an important word to understand too. Because the Bible uses it a couple ways. Sometimes the word righteous is pointed to people and how they're living. If they're living as close as they can to God and shewing, uh, with shewing evil and trying to live a godly life and live that way, they're often called righteous people. You know, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You know, people that live in sin and wall in sin and don't try to get away from sin, you know, their prayers are not availing much. But people that live right, and I used to tell everybody I met to pray for me, but I quit doing that because I don't think everybody's on speaking terms with God. Now I tell people like this to pray for me because I think the effectual prayer of righteous men availeth much. But there's another way in the Bible that the word righteous is used, and that is it's a name for the elect. It is a term that is used for the elect, righteous. And in this it means they're righteous because they have the imputed righteousness of Jesus in them. It's not going according to how they live in. It is going according to how what Christ has done for them. And you go, and when he judges, he said, The wicked shall go into damnation, but the righteous shall go into life eternal. That has to mean the elect. When he said the righteous shall go into life eternal, has to mean, in that sense, they're all elect. They're all born again. They have the imputed righteousness of God. Now, when he says, if I find ten righteous, I'll spare the city. And he says here, if the mighty works done in Capernaum had been done in Sodom, they'd remain even unto this day. So what he's saying is, there would have been at least 10 that would, if they were not already, would become righteous. Because he said, if those mighty works. Now, let's look at those mighty works and see what kind of people that would change. Would healing the blind, raising the dead, healing lepers, casting out devils, would those kind of miracles change an unregenerate? I'm going to tell you, they would not. You go to John chapter 9. Here the Lord heals a blind man, and then wicked Pharisees tried to find out any other way than to give Jesus a credit for it. I mean, they went to denying that he was blind, they went to asking his parents, and they confirmed that he was blind. Then they asked him four or five times, what did he do to you? Well, he took this mud, and he put, took your spittle, and he put it on my eyes, and I washed, and I could see. And I know they're thinking, it's not that Jesus that healed them. 
Repeat this again, because I want to get just how much mud he used and how much spittle, and I might perform that miracle myself. I get this formula right. But they went all away, trying to give credit anywhere but Jesus. And they told that blind man, tell us again. He said, if I tell you again, would you believe? He said, how were you healed? And that blind man did not mention mud, spittle, or anything else. He said, there was a man called Jesus. And I once was blind, but now I see. He gave all the credit to Jesus. So these miracles would not have changed that number if they were unregenerate. But now if they were children of God, but not living right, and God had convicted their souls through showing them many miracles, they could have very well possibly repented and got into that ten. It is important to see what he means by righteous here. Now, all these things that I just talked about, I want you to be part of the people that he's not hid it from, but that he's revealed it from. Because they can even change your life when you understand God and all the knowledge that he has and quit saying it shoulda, coulda, woulda because that is not going to change anything. Jesus already knew all the shoulda, coulda, wouldas. It happened the way he allowed it to happen and that's the final result of it. And it's when we have times like that and our hearts are broken, that it's tough, but we should say, Lord, thy will be done. Thank you, God, for all the mercy you do show us. And thank you for loving me. And thank you for all you do. And Lord, give me more insight to know more about you so I can understand things that will change my life and how God deals with his people. God bless you and thank you.